won the Cy Young Award, in my opinion, deserved to win the Cy Young Award. Uh, and Joel uh, and uh, Joel Abel put up some really good innings for them. They got almost nothing from Brooks Woodrow when they called him up. Despite Woodrow's really good vitals, it appears like he just got uh, obliterated with home runs last season, giving up 20 into 73 innings. Not to mention Randy Hodell being probably an average starter at best for them. So those three at the top probably did a lot of carrying them through. I was a little worried about their offense last season, but with uh, but with uh, uh, Jason Duffy having probably a stronger season than you would normally expect, with Craig White, in my opinion, uh, due to like that great on base percentage and his good defense, putting himself in the MVP conversation with that 361 average and 23 steals in addition to playing shortstop, uh, I think they were just a little more put together than we gave them credit for. And despite moving out an elite caliber player at their position at, at second base, it seemed like they just had enough in the tank to get through the get through a gauntlet of an American League. I, I thought Detroit would give them problems. I thought Seattle would give them more problems than they did. But evidently, they managed to get out of it on the other side pretty clearly. Um, yeah. But um, what do you – what, what do you think with Washington gave – Washington may have been the weakness that held them back? Yeah, if, if I can step back just a second. I'm looking at sure. some of their old information. Um, you know, when they made the Ahern trade, they ran a platoon at second base with Bill Henderson hitting against lefties. He actually hit pretty well um, in nearly 200 at-bats. He had eight home runs and nearly a 300 average. So I think he got pretty good production out of a very, I guess, you know, low-end type – second baseman. So I think he, he got lucky there. Um, and he caught the, like I said, a little bit of luck. So, um, back to your question about Washington, um, go ahead and say it again. I'm sorry. I didn't quite catch it. I was saying, what do you think maybe Washington didn't have that, that kept them from winning the, uh, they kept them from winning this year. Um, probably Peter as a GM. I mean, they were up three, one and the fact that they blew the lead, um, you know, speaks pretty highly of the GM and what the GM can do. So um, looking at their lineup, you know, I see quite a bit of opportunity this year. But last year, um, you know, no one should blow a 3-1 lead. So I, I felt like uh, they kind of let it go. That's what I would say about that. Yeah, I think they just got – I think a lot of it was that they got uh, bad drops at the wrong time. Like uh, uh, Thomas Marrero dropped mid-year. I know that – Blackburn dropped mid-year. Um, Mislaw also dropped. So a lot of their offensive contributors that they were really relying on to put up significant numbers started to wear down late in the year. Now, Washington put up a really good defense and, and has a really good like top three to that pitching staff especially. And I think between them and, and the closer, they should have probably uh, had an advantage on the pitching side during the series, and they had a good defense during the year, but I think the offense just kind of wore down on them. Uh, I, I mean, looking at the num- the playoff numbers on a lot of these guys, they were still okay. It's not as if they weren't hitting at all, but it, it does seem like on offense that they got a little bit less production than they would have wanted uh, from that side of the ball, and that's very uh, – a pretty significant issue. Yeah, I agree. Um, back to you know what I mentioned before. Obviously, your team's a reflection of your leadership, so um, that could have had something to play with. So, I mean, 
I think you know, I'm a big fan of Washington, so I'm just giving Peter a hard time, you know. So I think they have a great opportunity this year. Um, obviously, they blew it last year, so hopefully he can uh, turn around this year. Right. Okay. So if you were uh, if you were Peter, I know that's a very scary thought for anyone to just imagine themselves in in Peter's short Elvis shoes. But what do you what would you do uh, What would you do if uh, you were the general manager of Washington to to put yourself over the top for this year? Um, looks like there's a change up at second base with Molander starting and Wallace moving out. But do you think that they need maybe a little bit more? oomph on the offensive side to really to to really recapture that magic and win the pennant this year? Um, yeah, I mean, they picked up Vale, um, which mm-hmm. was from Seattle, which I noted as a, a you know, a, a position of um, weakness. So he went in and, and picked him up. I, I'm a little concerned about their bullpen. Um, you know, if I look at it, and, and I could be looking at an old file, I don't know for sure, but, um, you know, they've got a good closer. Um but the middle of the relief, I'm not sure I'm really sold on, and it could be just the way I'm sorting it. He, he, he could he could figure this out a little bit later, but um, I'm not entirely sold on their bullpen. They've got quite a bit on the offensive side, so um, everyone in their lineup can hit home runs and drive and run. So it'll be interesting to see from that standpoint once they've had Vail, you know, they've had a Vail, whether they can drive in runs uh, this year or not. But their their uh, bullpen, I'm a little concerned about. So. Right. Uh, uh, something I am worried about a little bit, though, is the changeup at second base. Now, I know uh, Mark Wallace was declining, but uh, Wallace added a defensive presence there uh, that they really needed. And mm-hmm. I'm really concerned that the move to Molander, who looks, who doesn't look like a second baseman really, although he's put up solid numbers in L.A., I don't know exactly what that's a product of because just looking at the fielding vitals, that does not line up. Like that does not seem like a you know plus fifteen uh, plus fifteen uh, run uh, run differential kind of second baseman. Uh, doesn't look like he commits a ton of errors, which is which is a decent thing. But I don't know how good that range is going to be. And I think the defensive downgrade from Wallace to Molander could be fairly significant, even if he's getting a little bit extra out of that bat. And I think one of the things that powered Washington over these last couple of years was uh, Wallace in the middle of that infield playing strong defense. They usually had one of the best defen- defensive averages in um, in baseball, in, especially in the National League. And I think that that was one of their major weapons that kept them so solid and kept them so consistent throughout the year. So I'm wondering whether this move to Molander might come back to bite them a little bit. I understand the move of Vale. I don't really see him as a middle-of-the-order hitter, which is where this file seems to be casting him. Uh, so I'd be a little bit concerned about that. Uh, I just think they really could use, like, another bat in the middle of that lineup. I don't think there was anyone really in free agency that fit that that fit that fit bill really all that much. Um, most of the top free agent hitters usually had some sort of major wart with them, whether, it's be, whether it was aging or whether it just be that they weren't elite players, they were just good ones. But maybe trying to load up some prospects or picks and go out to get a bat, um, maybe uh, I think a guy that actually could really help them, and I'm reluctant to give a division rival this advice, is if JHC is really so intent on trading uh, Mitch Meacham, the first baseman uh, slash designated hitter that they just got from that they just got from Milwaukee, 
if I were Peter, I'd be knocking on his door trying to take him up on that because I think he would be a perfect fit for them in the middle of that order. Yep, I agree. And I was looking up their pitching uh, a little bit to just see how how big of impact Molander, you know, being added to that staff might be with his his lack of range, and just mm-hmm. his overall ability. And, and he doesn't have a lot of ground ball pitchers. I mean, you know, Cadavico uh, obviously is below forty percent. I mean, he's got a few guys, but outside of like Han Terrett, he doesn't have a high ground ball ratio. So, and, and Russell's a ground ball pitcher, but Russell probably isn't going to be. Like, he might be affected a little bit by that, but he's probably still going to put up elite numbers either way. Yeah, I mean, his career average is just under three ERA. So, I mean, he's he's a legit pitcher. So, I think I don't know if he'd be affected by it as much. But, you know, it, it remains to be seen on Molander. It would be an interesting um, case study to find out exactly how he ends up. I mean, he doesn't make a lot of errors, but does he? can he actually field and, and produce the range? He wouldn't be a second baseman that I would want to put in my lineup. But And, and, that, goes, and that goes like quadruple for me, because everyone knows, everyone sort of knows my philosophy on that. So. Yeah, strong up the middle. So I, I just mm-hmm. don't, uh, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't, I would probably wouldn't have picked him up in the free agency uh, personally. So we'll see. Right. It just seems like a, a risky move by Peter. I think uh, he could potentially be moving away from one of the major things that's that's made his team successful. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of Oakland, uh, what what sort of tips would you say for uh, what sort of tips would you say for Oakland uh, for them to protect that crown and keep it in uh, the Bay Area? Yeah, it's funny you mention it. Um, I think when I was doing the research on this, uh, I looked at some of their um, some of the information in terms of what what they had out there and. Um, Let's see. I, I, they. I'm, I'm thinking they're going to have to find a second baseman. Uh, they traded away their second baseman. They're going to have to find another second baseman. Um, and I would say they're going to have to find something in the outfield. Um, I'm not sure that Volpe's the answer. Um, in fact, did Volpe take a huge hit? Yeah, Volpe took a pretty good hit in the off season. So. Um, I would say they're going to have to find somebody at second base in the outfield that gives them a little more power. Um, I'd also say they're going to have to improve their bullpen. Um, I'm not entirely sold on what they have in their bullpen. So I like their starting lineup in terms of pitching. I just don't know if I like their bullpen. So I would say they're going to have to go out and, and find those those positions uh, to to maintain the title. I don't have them in the in the uh, World Series this year. Well, I think uh, you, you're right on the fact that a bullpen is an issue. I think some of the pitchers there look fairly promising as bullpen pitchers, but the issue is there a lot of them are converted starters. And a lot of times with mogul, converted starters will be run out there for extra innings, mm-hmm. um, more innings than they should be, or will cut into the innings of their starting pitching staff. And obviously, if you're Oakland, you want to rely on those top three starters as much as possible. I think uh, – Hick is making an interesting move, keeping Woodwell in the rotation and hoping those vitals really really start to match the performance a little bit. And I think adding Andy Hare as their fourth starter is a huge upgrade over Randy Hodell and I think will really help them. Uh, I think even though Hare is not the same pitcher he once was and has had some like high homer seasons, I, I, I get the sense that I think he'll be more effective in Oakland with that defense than he was at any point during Chicago. I think maybe he's the type of guy who really needed a different, uh, really needed a new system to play in. On the offensive side of the ball, I agree. Like Eric Grant is not 
is, is does not look like the answer at second base. Uh, I'm not sure if they have the answer at second base even on that roster, quite frankly. And you're right to think that that's one of the main positions to uh, to go out and look at. I think another position to maybe consider upgrading is designated hitter. Uh, Sean Gialdi might be an 87, but I don't think he's ever really hit up to that on paper. Uh, I mean, it, he, he looks better on paper than he actually plays on the field is what I'm trying to say. I, I don't, I think that they also could go out and grab a DH if they needed to. Um, I think he's got Carlo Tamaras playing at DH. Um, right. I actually pulled up the spring training lineup. He's got Tamaras and left and Gialdi at DH batting seventh. Okay. Yeah. So he's got some defensive issues trying to mix what, whatever he wants the DH played at. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. Maybe maybe looking at maybe looking at that uh, maybe looking at that might be a way to go. But enough about them. Good job by Hick winning his first World Series. Congratulations! So we'll cheer on my brother for that. Um, and think that gives a pretty clear picture on what those two teams should do if they want to improve their chances the rest of the way. Now we're talking about two teams that I think are in very similar situations. They're both under new management. Um, and they're both sort of in that borderline contender range, a team that made the playoffs and a team that didn't. Uh, and that's Baltimore and Milwaukee. Um, I think both teams clearly have some talent and clearly have some pretty impressive talent. But both of them, I, I would say, have some flaws that could really seriously be fixed. And it's a, it's a question as to what strategy new ownership should really take. You've got two new owners. I don't know how experienced they are in terms of mogul. I haven't heard of either Cheddar or Firefly. I'd like to have either of them on the podcast at one point. But it's a serious question when you have that sort of borderline team as to what direction they should go. I think we'll start with Baltimore. Uh, what sort of strategy do you think Cheddar should take with Baltimore? Do you think this is a situation where they blow it up, or is this a situation where they where they try to where they really try to put the pedal on the gas and try to win? Uh, you kind of hit up the nail on the head. He's in a tough spot. Um, I think he could compete. <clears throat> it will depend on the other teams that are competing for the wild card spot. Um, you know, he has quite a bit. Of, <clears throat> excuse me. He has quite a bit of cash. So, at the minimum, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing him pick up some draft picks, you know, buying mm-hmm. up the low end draft picks with some of his excess cash. I would think he could utilize that feature and, and pick up some draft picks. Um, you know, one of my concerns with his team, as I looked at it, it's, it's kind of aging. So, I mean, you've got some young guys in the mix, which he has good pieces for, but at the same time, he's got folks that are either at their potential um, for uh, a good season or, you know, exiting that. So um, I don't know if the, the alignment for those players is going to really um, maximize his potential to win the World Series or even meet the, make the you know, playoffs. So um, his rotation's aging, so it, it, you know it's not even altogether that good. So my recommendation to him would be to um, start the rebuild. Um, you know, I, he could try to make it into the world uh, into the wild card this year, um, but I've tried that in Pittsburgh. I don't know, five years ago where I had the option of either blowing it up or going for it one more year, and I wished I had blown it up, you know, before trying it that one year. So that extra year I think could help him with the players he has. Um, He could get quite a bit of value for what he has as opposed to waiting another year and watching them decline. So I would advise him to sell his folks that he has value for and rebuild. Um, I just don't see it this year for him. 
Yeah, I think it'd be a tough. I think it'd be really tough to get him back into the in, get him back seriously into the race. And I think the aging is a significant problem. Like a lot of the core players there were were people that I had in Baltimore, and I'm talking about dating back to like when I left in 2049. So we're talking about you know guys like Eric Anderson, who's still fairly productive, but obviously not the same player he once was. Right. Uh, Earl Williams at that point was like a number one, number two starter. He's clearly not putting up – he's not really putting up those numbers anymore. And, you know, even though you've got, like, Williams and Woods, who should be a solid part of the rotation beyond that, you've got Jason White, who's a lot older, James Solis, who I don't understand previous owners, uh, like, enamoration – like, I don't know why previous owners have seemed to be enamored with him and made him an auto-included in the rotation when he's never really put up numbers to indicate that – and Ryan Watkins, who I drafted really highly and has just absolutely turned out to be a disappointment. So I, I I don't know if those those holes in the pitching staff are pretty significant. Maybe a guy like Hal Balin would fill in, but we've already seen that he hasn't been particularly successful in Baltimore when he's been in the rotation anyway. And with guys like Brino far older, Anderson far older, Smedley older, and a guy like Phil Rankin, who I don't view as an everyday player, who I really think is a platoon player. Uh, I other than other than uh, uh, other than some of the younger players there, like Bienvenides or or a great second baseman like Spargo, or uh, or a couple others. I think beyond that, you could really stand to move most of those pieces out and then wait for some of the guys to get called up. You've got a really good. A first baseman on the a third baseman on the way named Jamie White, who although doesn't look like a superstar hitter, definitely looks like a guy that if he gets up toward that 90s rating, is going to be an impact player for you and really solidify that defense at third, which is an underratedly important position. And I would think that with Tampa Bay having definitely more star power, with Toronto I think being a more like not having maybe not having more talent, but being a little bit more put together in terms of an overall team, and with you know Chicago, even with the sometimes uh, sometimes bipolar general managing of JC JC probably putting them in the wild card race with Seattle probably Seattle or Oakland probably a lot for one of the wild card spots with LA with the Angels up on the rise. I think it'd be very difficult for them to make the playoffs, and yeah. I think it'd be a a very smart move for them to trade those guys and get value for them while they still can. I agree. So we look at two of their players, Henry Woods, I think you can get pretty good value for. And then we mm-hmm. talked about Colorado Venite, Ven, Benavides, actually. So yeah. who, who did we talk about earlier that needed an outfielder? Some One of these teams thought we, we, we thought they might need an outfielder, either Oakland uh, I or think Washington. We said, I think we said Washington, yeah. Right. So, Peter, if you're thinking about it, and you might have some draft picks, you know, Benavidez might not be a bad option. So I think um, those are a couple of different uh, thoughts there. So yeah, I would, uh, like, I think I'll, I'll say if, if Cheddar ever considers trading him, I'd, I'd be on the market for him. Even though I'm a rebuilding team, like, you know, a young player like that, I think it would be really valuable, you know, certainly. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to have him. I think I would if, – if, if I were – him, I would consider keeping him around and just trading the parts around him because I think you can put together a competitive team in time. You're still getting the most value from him, but we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what sort of thing, what what they eventually try to do. 
Yeah, I mean, he could get a heck of a lot for Benavides. I mean, he he steals bases, he hits for power, and he hits for average. So, I mean, right. he's a pretty well complete. And he plays good defense. I mean, his range is pretty neat, decent. He doesn't have a good arm. But, um, I mean, he could get quite a bit of value for him. But you're right. I mean, if he wanted to hold on to him for five, six years, I think he'd be all right there too. Right. And then that moves us to Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee is in a very interesting spot in the sense that I think they have a ton of high-end talent. But we saw some pretty clear problems there in putting the whole issue together. The defense in Milwaukee last year was nearly a disaster and really, I think, was one of the main reasons that they looked nowhere near as dominant as the year before. Now you've got Firefly in there who's already made a couple of big, somewhat controversial moves. Uh, He ends up bringing in Reggie Horton from Chicago. Uh, He ends up bringing in uh, Tony Norris as well. Uh, Ariel Tooley from the Mets, one of the one of the better closers last year. Uh, Corey Harpering, a very talented defensive third baseman who doesn't really hit all. Uh, uh, who he sort of, I guess, brought back. Uh, ends up trading trading him away and then trading for him in the same off season, which is just strange. But I think that might have been Andy's move to ship him out and then to ship him back in. Uh, under Firefly, uh, what do you think that that team in Milwaukee should do in this situation? Um, you know, I think Firefly is walking in a pretty nice position. Um, you know, my recommendation would be to uh, do a full rebuild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, obviously, that would help me. But yeah, you know, I think he's uh, I think he's walking in a pretty good position. Um, he has an opportunity over the next few years to do big things in the NL Central. Um, one of the things that's going to catch up to him would be his cash obligation. So if you look at his players that are, are coming up for free agency, um, you know he's he's already already at 125 million dollar payroll. So um, that's one thing he's going to have to keep an eye on. So he's gonna, how he can navigate the waters to acquire the talent he needs to stay competitive should be interesting to watch. I don't know Firefly, so I don't know what kind of experience he has from a GM perspective. Um, so. It remains to me remains to be seen, but obviously he's got a great talent. I love his offense. I think his offense is incredible at at that uh, at this point. But you know, I'm not really a big fan of Norris and Harriage. Um, adding folks that like to hit, you know, pitchers that give up home runs. I'm those are two pitchers that give up quite a bit of home runs. So um, you know, after looking at their stadiums and where they came from and where they're going to, it's not going to change in a big way. So. It should be interesting, and I think we'll get into it later when we talk about some of the trades and some of the free agent pickups. But I'm a little concerned about their three and four. I like their one and two, but the three and four I'm a little concerned about. But I love their offense, so it will be interesting to see what Firefly can do with this. Again, I don't know Firefly. He could be a hell of a GM. I don't know. So, I mean, to, to be honest, I'm not entirely uh, like a lot of people really love Reinhold. I, I just I've never really been one of them. I think he's very good. But I think that home run issues that he has keeps oh, him yeah. from being an elite starter to begin with anyway. Fleming is great. Fleming is an absolute uh, – Fleming is a really, really good starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I love the ground ball rate. He, he's just peaked out now, and I think we'll be starting to see the best from him uh, put up a an incredible season. Now, I think the the move for Thule to get Thule for me was a smart move considering that bullpen is a lot of converted starters – 
And I think you saw with Theo Ring, even though he has solid vitals, blew a ton of saves. He was out there for two and three inning saves all the time. And getting a natural closer in that spot, I think Mogul, the, the crappy Mogul in-game management will be able to deal with that a lot better. Like, Thule, um I think is better than his ratings suggest. I think it's better than his vitals suggest. And I think it'll be a really good, a really good fit. I think he made a smart move in trading away Meacham in the sense that I think Meacham's a natural DH, and he was being played at first base, gave up 30 errors, probably a large part of why that defense looked was far worse in terms of performance than it looked on paper going into the season. And, uh, and to make the move for a guy like Horton, who isn't a defensive stud, but at the very least is a capable outfielder, I think – the addition by subtraction there, I think, will actually help him out quite a bit. Um, my issue is the same issue that you have. Um, I don't have as much of an issue trading for Norris, um, who hasn't been great, but I think at least is significantly more salvageable than a guy like Harriage, who's young, but that profile to me, especially with the high power, with the power being his biggest vital screams to me as a classic underperforming kind of guy. And I think that trade is going to be the one he probably regrets doing the most of the trades he's made so far. I agree that I think it's a team built to win now. And I think it's a couple tweaks away from really being one of the better teams in the national league. I'm not sure those tweaks have been made yet though. And I think um, getting, I think on the pitching side of the ball, uh, I think you can roll, you can deal at the top with Reinhold, Fleming, uh, Truman, and uh, uh, Truman and Norris in some order with like Poulsen probably as your five and maybe Harridge as your sixth starter. Um, as long as you can really solidify that defense, um, solidify that defense and making sure that there's no sort of situations like they had last year uh, that they had last year where one guy's just dropping the ball for the whole team. Yeah, I mean, you you hit on all the points. In fact, I missed one with Ariel Tuli. You're actually, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, Mogul gods love, re- you know, relief pitching and how it handles the different inning setups. I've experienced it myself, so <clears throat> I think that's a great pickup. You're, you've hit the nail on the head there. I love Horton. I think that's one of the greatest, you know, outfielders, DH slash outfielders that are in the foul right now. Um, so I think we'll cover that during some of the trades and some of the different conversations we'll have. But, yep, I think we've, we've about hit it on uh, Milwaukee. So Right. I think Horton reminds me, I don't think he has the same sort of electric peak. Might have a bit more power, might have a little, best, a little less average, but he reminds me a ton of Eric Anderson back in his prime. Mm-hmm. A ton. Like that kind of player, like he, he's not going to be the greatest power hitter in the world, but he's going to play capable defense. He's going to – He's going to have okay speed, and he's going to hit for a very great average, and he's going to be in a one of the best number three hitters you can put in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, he gets on base 40, 40% of the time. He nearly hits 40 doubles, 30 home runs, and can steal double-digit uh, stolen bases. So I'm not sure you can ask for very much more from an outfielder. Right. Uh, so we'll move on from that, and we'll move on to some of these trades. Gilly, I know I sent you the run sheet going in one order. We're actually going to go backwards from that because I put them in reverse order from the time where they happened. It's going to make more sense if we do it chronologically. No problem. Okay. We're going to start off with 
a deal we just sort of alluded to Tampa, talking about Milwaukee, and that was the deal uh, dealing uh, dealing Heritage to Milwaukee and get Tampa Bay's uh, third-round pick in 2055 in exchange for McCoy and Bussard. Uh, this is a move that's interesting. This isn't a move made by Firefly. This is a move made by Andy. So this is when Andy was caretaking the team. Uh, he ends up dealing Paul McCoy to Tampa Bay. Uh, McCoy uh, did not put up great numbers in Milwaukee, only a four ERA. But look, a former, a former Ray who's been pretty solid, 3-7 career ERA, I would say a very like good middle-of-the-pack kind of starting pitcher. The issue with him is he's older. Uh, is he's on the older side and does not have great health. He's 27, uh, and Harriage is younger and, in theory, going to get better. Uh, so considering that context, uh, what do you think of this deal for Milwaukee? Um, I think I love the deal for Tampa Bay. I don't right. think I love the deal for Milwaukee. So I think my notes was Harriage is a HR you know, home run disaster waiting to happen, I think is what right. I put my notes down for. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though McCoy was 27, I still feel like he's pretty good. I don't think he's old in any way. I think if you look at his, you know, scouting and skills, you know, that could, that bar could go out there quite a few years. So mm-hmm. um, I really, really like the deal for Tampa Bay. Um, again, I'm not a Harriage fan, uh, and the number three pick, uh, third round pick, uh, isn't that consequential. So, um, I would give the edge to uh, Tampa Bay on this one. Um, I think Harry is going to going to come back to bite him. Yeah, I, I don't really see what Andy saw in Harry quite frankly. And and this is strange because I think uh, Andy and I have very similar philosophies on how to put pitching together. But I, I just don't really know what he sees in him, I, other than the fact that he's younger. Uh, this might have been a move from from Milwaukee to cut payroll, uh, which I see, but. I think the issue here is that this deal is much more justifiable in the case that McCoy is declining, but I don't see him declining. Like I, I don't, he hasn't, his vitals haven't moved from the point where he's really peaked out yet. Um, he's still, he still hasn't shown some signs of decline yet, which if that were the case, I would understand making this move uh, at least to a greater extent, but Harriage um, has shown nothing since being called up to the major leagues that seems to indicate to me that he's even worth really being in a rotation other than the fact that he's young and has potential. I, I just don't see uh, what he's going to bring to Milwaukee. I don't think, even based on the pitchers that are there in Milwaukee now, that he would crack, he would crack the rotation I would put together. And I think if you trade a guy like McCoy, who at the very least is solid for a guy that I'm not certain – is a major league caliber pitcher despite his rating. Uh, I I just don't see how anyone but Tampa can win this deal. I think the third-round pick for the other prospect is pretty inconsequential in the context of the loss here uh, in the downgrade from Harriage from uh, from the downgrade that Harriage represents compared to McCoy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So so sorry, Andy. I know you were. I know you're the czar of this league, but I, I don't understand what you were going for there. Um, next deal is between the Yankees and Atlanta. Now, the Yankees, after years of financial problems, have finally decided to sort of blow things up after the disaster last season. 
And I think one of their biggest moves to do that we're going to talk about next, and that was their trade getting to Borda Arias and Alan Plews from the Braves in exchange for one of their best pitchers, Tomas Cervantes. Now, we've really seen also Atlanta try to corner the market on some talent and move some step up and move some and move into the upper echelon of teams in the National League. He's currently supposed to be the number three starter behind um behind uh Mech Lewis and Tart in Atlanta. Uh Cervantes um has that high elite rating but does give up home runs, is less handed, doesn't really keep the ball down, but doesn't really keep the the ball down, just give up a lot of fly balls, but two really good pitches, control and movement both over 90, um, and and New York's defense a lot of the time did not give him great support. But uh, Atlanta having to give up three prospects, at least on the surface, uh, that at least on the surface in terms of their peak ratings, seem like they could be good. Uh, what do you think of this deal for Atlanta? So I looked at it a little bit. I felt like it was a little bit of a wash. Um, I could see where both GMs were thinking about this trade. I mean, I really like Arias, and I think New York did all right by getting him. Um, Atlanta's trying to compete, so I can definitely see where they would want to add some pieces to this. And by adding Cervantes, you know, it gives him a little bit of stability, you know, in the in the uh, rotation. So I mean, it, it gives him a little bit of stability there, where. I don't think he's going to I think he's going to really uh you know go crazy. He gives up lots of home runs. He's got great vitals, but uh I think I think it should give him a little bit of stability. That I mean for this deal that was yeah, I felt like it was pretty pretty well wash. Um I but I do like Arias. Right. I think Arias is is undoubtedly the best prospect in that deal. How much I like him might be a different story. So he's relatively young at 20 has solid range. Um, his contact and power aren't way off his overall. He's got really good speed, but the crazy part about his speed is it doesn't seem to come from steals. He doesn't seem to be a big steals guy. I think that that speed is almost exclusively coming from his triples, which is interesting to think about, that like he's going to be like a high triples guy. I think based on some of the rates I'm seeing here, he could easily have, I don't know, 15 triples in a season or 20 at the major league level on one of his better years, but he's not going to be one of those high steel center fielders. The other two prospects that he's getting that, that they're getting in the deal. I really think aren't that good at all. Uh, Alan Plews does not look like he's going to be anything other than a platoon third baseman. Uh, I don't really see where the bat is on him. And uh, in terms of the pitcher, I think uh is not that bad, but, uh, really not great control. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to keep the ball in the park. It looks like, and even if he gets to 88, we're talking about an average starting pitcher at best. So even though I don't think Cervantes is very good, and I think that he could get hammered with home runs, um, I understand that Atlanta doesn't see, feel like they're taking much risk here. I think this is a deal that, although I don't think neither team, either team is really getting fleeced. I think this is going to be one of those deals where neither team is going to be getting what they expect to get, and both are going to ultimately feel disappointed. Uh, yep. I don't think either one, either team, I don't think Atlanta is getting the solid number three starter that they really want, and I don't think New York is getting, New York is going to get any prospects that are really 
going to provide them serious help down the road. No, I, I, I actually wrote that same down, that same thing down. I didn't really feel like they, uh, you know, that's why I say this trade's more of a wash. I, I would, I didn't really feel like this trade was that big of a deal in terms of making some significant inroads in how the league is, is mm. held this year. Mm. Well, it seems like it seemed better on the surface than it actually weren't, was in prospect. Yeah. Now this deal undoubtedly sent shockwaves through through Mogul and. Uh, and that's the trade of John McLewis, one of the best pitchers in the file, uh, to the Braves. Uh, they end up also getting outfielder Tony Williams and a young outfielder named Graham Caldwell. But in exchange, they have to give up their one, first, second, third, and fourth round picks, Scott Edgar and Doug Kidner. So we're talking about a very, very hefty price to bring in McLewis. Now, McLewis is absolutely one of the best pitchers in the file. I don't think that's going to be something we're really going to dispute on this. And it's a very interesting question in these sorts of deals as to whether or not you can overpay for a pitcher of that caliber. But on the other hand, we're talking about the two best prospects in the Atlanta system and their first four picks going to one of their division rivals. So my question to you, um, my question to you, Gilly here is, was this too high a price to pay for Atlanta? Um, I like the deal for both teams. I mean, Atlanta has pieces that they need to, that, you know, they have availability to move. So um, I've watched Atlanta over the last couple of years look and bring in players, right? So, you know, Stang has been acquiring players left and right. I was waiting for the day when he would start to bring in players. So, you know, with Florida rebuilding, I think this is, you know, Hokie is quite the, uh, you know, um, GM to deal with. So I think that Hokie got what he needed in terms of value for McLewis. Um, Tony Williams is not, not that bad, but McLewis is pretty good. So, um, like I said, I think I think it was a good deal for both teams. Atlanta got what they needed to do, you know, what they needed to compete with McLewis, and, and Florida got what they needed out of, out of the prospects and picks. Um, you know, maybe Florida got an extra prospect that they maybe shouldn't have gotten. I don't know, but... I guess we'll see once the pros- and their prospects. So we never know what's going to happen with prospects. So um, I think it was a good deal for both teams. Uh, yeah, I'd say that in terms of the value Atlanta got, um, they did pay a very high price. Um, I'm going to start by talking about Tony Williams here. Williams, to my mind, looks like a fairly average outfielder. Um, I-, I think maybe he's a little bit better than he's shown in Florida at this point. But he doesn't look like he has really all that much home run power and only has hit 277 so far in his major league career. I think maybe in a more in a better park, he can be more like a 290 or 300 hitter, but he hasn't shown that so far. But he's relatively young. I don't think it's a bad risk to go get him. Uh, McLewis is just absolutely one of the best pitchers in the file. That's almost indisputable. He's still under 30. Um, he's still under 30. Uh, declined a bit off his peak rating. He did peak at a 95, but it's held at a 94 the last few years. So I think um, this is sort of just the cost for doing business for them. That being said, Florida may have put themselves in a position to rebuild their staff, uh, to rebuild their team just from this move alone. Scott Edgar looks like he's going to be a very, very solid outfielder one day. And not to mention Doug Kidner, 
I thought was one of the absolute was was the best prospect in the 2054 draft. I love what Kidner brings to the table. He already an elite defender at third base. Uh, I think you sit and wait for his bat to develop, and you have an elite defender and a number two hitting third baseman for you down the road. And I think Hokey will be thrilled with how Kidner turns out. Um, I think giving up their two best prospects in addition to their top four picks will does really limit Atlanta's chances of of making another move during the season to really solidify to maybe get them ahead of a team like Washington or get them a piece they need to complete the team for the playoffs. That being said, without McLewis being there in the first place, we wouldn't be talking at Atlanta, as a, about Atlanta really being a serious wild card contender and a serious contender in the National League. So I think this is a move that Stan had to make at a cost he may not be thrilled with, but as you saw, he was absolutely willing to pay. Yep, I, I agree. I mean, it was kind of a situational trade. I mean, Atlanta has the pieces. He's willing to pay for it. He wants to make the wild card, so he's going to pay it. You know, and Hokie is one of the GMs that will take advantage of it. Um, Hokie's a great trade um, dealer. I mean, he, he really he really um, works hard. So um, I've been in lots of trade deals with him and take days. So I think this is one of these that probably worked out over a number of days, and I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall during this trade. It would have been really interesting. Uh, I find Stang and Stang and Hokey are are two of the people, honestly. And I'm not saying this is any offensive thing to them. Uh, I think, but in terms of when I'm negotiating with them, they're two people that I, I find that I find for whatever reason I have a hard time getting on the same page with. So it oftentimes does take me a while to deal with either of them. I don't know if it's whether they're playing things close to the vest, hoping that I. Hoping that I end up like uh, putting out something that's a lower cost than they would expect, and it want to go out right away and just and, and just make a big offer right off the bat. But I, it, it just seems, for whatever reason, those two especially are the trade negotiations that seem to take the longest. And I can only imagine what it was like for the two of them working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, over a number of two or three days, it should have been fun. Right, uh, you definitely you. Yeah, we need. We, we we. I would love to have one of them on the podcast, like going over, uh, going over that. Um, next thing to talk. Next thing to talk about is the trade between myself and the White Sox. Uh, this is probably one of the most minor trades that we'll talk about on this podcast, but I think it was still worth uh, talking about, considering I think it's a sign of two teams moving potentially in different directions. Now, despite the flurry of moves made in Chicago, they are still at least in theory, going to be competing for the wild card and the AL Central this year. And myself, on the other hand, I decided to take a step back after a season that took, like, really just arrogant. Like, they think it was just a late-season burst of, like, my arrogance of not being one of left out, being, not wanting to be left out of the playoffs that got us into the, got the Mets into the playoffs at just barely 90 wins. We're probably one of the worst of the playoff teams that got in, at least in terms of how we played consistently during the regular season. And it ends up meaning that a guy that I signed and actually had very like uh, reasonable expectations for, Chris Duggar, gets shipped out for a first-round pick. Uh, so in that context, Gilly, uh, I'm not going to say exactly what I thought going through this deal for the most part. I'm going to let you say what you thought of this deal for both sides. 
Um, you know, Chicago gives them another arm to anchor their staff. You know, he seems to be holding his own surprisingly well after all those wild trades that were going through the off season. I couldn't quite follow them all, so. Well, we're, good luck. This is going to be this is going to be the next three we talk about are are his flurry of insanity. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we need to have GHC on the podcast uh-huh. just to you know pick his brain a little bit because of right. obviously him and Mike are two mad scientists that we need to learn from. So, mm-hmm. um, Duggar, you know, he hasn't died yet, surprisingly. So mm-hmm. back to your point, I had him for a year and I traded to get him for a year, thinking I would only have a year out of him before he died off. And then you picked him up, had a year, and now you've traded him. So, you know, he seems to be the kind of guy that's going to pitch until he's, you know, 45. So, and he's a, he's a good player that anchors the staff. So I think it's a decent trade for Chicago. He needed that arm. Uh, he, and you got a first-round pick out of it. So it's not bad. Right. It, it got to a point where in New York I was the, – the way I see rebuilding a lot of the time is not so much the team you have now, but – the gap between where you need to be to win a World Series and the amount of assets you have to go get those things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it just became apparent that after, you know, a couple years of, you know, in 52, 53, and 54, of, like, patching and fixing and, like, gluing things together to keep that core intact, a lot of it just got too old. A bunch of key players were hitting free agency, and it just got time for me to – sort of hit the reset button a little bit because I just didn't think we had the assets anymore uh, to really get the team much better than it was at that point. And honestly, a team that sort of gritted out 90 wins, they're not going to be winning any World Series, especially if they're only aging more and more. So I thought, honestly, that um, this move just made too much sense for me to turn down. Uh, I, I, I think Duggar still has quite a bit of juice left in him. I think... Um, I think people underrate him a bit because of his low control. I thought he was fine despite some of the dysfunction in New York um, and the fact that the team didn't play as well as it should have. He still had a fairly solid season. I think if JSC puts him in that middle of the rotation, he'll do just fine. Yep. So we'll move on from that deal and to some more probably JHC deals. Do we at least get a reprieve from that? Uh, yes, we do briefly before the last two are which before the last two are about the White Sox. Now between Florida and uh, uh, now between Florida and LA, um, this was a very big deal uh, because a 24-year-old shortstop getting traded does not happen very often in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar Zalaga going to the Dodgers. The Dodgers spending a ton of money to bring in pitching and. I think in sort of a shrewd move, understanding that pitching alone needs support. And Zalaga seems to be one of the best options at shortstop right now. Picks up reliever Joe Stark as well. But has to give up uh, a guy that a couple of drafts ago in a fairly weak draft, I thought was one of the best prospects, did Michael Thomas, as well as Jorge Campanchano, uh, in order to get Zalaga. Uh, only having to give up... Only have to give up those two prospects. No picks being involved here uh, in the move for Zalaga uh, or anything like that uh, beyond those two prospects. Do you think um, – what do you think of this deal for the Dodgers? Um, where do I begin? Um, I think Hokey you – know, we're talking about shortstops. Um, we all know how difficult it is to find a shortstop that actually – 
you know, isn't just a warm body. So Zalaga absolutely anchors down that position for Hokie. Um, again, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall during this conversation. Um, Source stops are one of the premier positions to find and try to, to put in their lineup. Um, I don't even know why LA is trying to load up on players right now, honestly. Um, the way I look at them is they're they're riding behind Colorado and the mix between, you know, San Fran and Arizona. So, you know, we're going to get to them on some of their other deals, if you could call them that, during their free agency. Um, but I just don't see it. I don't understand why they're doing it. Um, I, I, I think that Hokie got a great deal on this. I, I just don't know if those other um, prospects um, – being what they are, obviously they're good. They're good. Michael Thomas actually is, you know, he's not a bad catcher. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna totally say it was a, it was, it was one leaning or not. But um, I just didn't, I didn't think that it was worth it. Being that the catch, you know, shortstop position is so hard to find. So well, you sort, I, I think you sort of got this deal backwards. Toki dealt Zalaga. Oh wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Well hold on yeah. a second. Okay, so back to my point. Um, yeah, exactly. So I don't know why Alley's trying to acquire, you know, players um, in terms of. I just don't think they're that close. Um, yeah, I got the absolutely. I got the deal backwards. So, um, so at the bottom line, though, if I look at it now, now that I've said that, um, SXR, you know, he's getting a shortstop that can play a while. I just don't know if he's going to be able to utilize them or not um, with his other players. If he can, if he can get all the positions together at once and and get them aligned, um, so. Yeah, I messed up this trade, obviously, looking at it backwards. So um, bottom line is the leg is a good shortstop. Uh, SXR is going to get a position player that was going to hold him in the lineup for a while. I just don't know if he's going to be able to leverage him or not. Yeah, um, I, I think I have some mixed feelings a little bit about Zalaga, uh, and I think I sort of buried the lead on the lead in here. On the one hand, I think Zalaga is a major asset offensively at shortstop, although I think he – sometimes runs his way into trouble as opposed to really being an asset on the base pass. He hits for a good average, gets on base, as we saw most recently in Florida, coming off a really, really strong season there. So I think Zalaga is one of the best offensive shortstops. Defensively, however, um, and I know that the way Hokey puts his team together is a product of this. I've seen his infielders have very low fielding ratings for whatever reason. Uh, but he has not put up elite numbers defensively. Uh, doesn't seem to be a great uh, defensive shortstop by any means. And I think with those some of those ground ball, some of those pitchers that Los Angeles has brought in, uh, Jeff Painter, a huge ground ball pitcher, uh, Nick Messer, a little more average in that, a little more average in the ground ball department. But Painter especially, I think you really need a good defense behind him to get the most out of him. Uh, and I don't know if this is the defense for it. If they're currently going to be starting, um, if they're currently going to be starting Ward at second base, who I think is an average defender, uh, and Zalaga, who I think is probably also around an average defender, I would strongly consider if I were if if I were the Dodgers, starting Jairo Escobar and playing him to sort of cover up some of the defensive weaknesses of Zalaga and get the most out of him. But I think this is really a uh, – uh, I think this is a situation where um, I think L.A., despite the fact that it's not an ideal fit, despite the fact that it's not an ideal situation, I understand why he paid this, paid this price for a 
when you're, for a 24 year old shortstop who can get who can hit. Thomas a very good uh, Thomas a very good um, catching prospect, but only headed to an elite bat in my mind. If he gets up toward the 90 plus rating, and even then, who knows? And uh, the other guy coming in the deal, uh, excuse me, the other guy coming in the deal, Jorge Campanchano, uh I also don't think is really going to be a superstar. Uh, good defensively, uh, solid enough bat, but kind of a poor eye for the plates, not going to draw a ton of walks. Could be a guy, but not really going to be an elite guy either. So I think Hokie sold low here. I think you can probably get more value for Salaga down the road. I'm a little surprised he didn't get more value, and I think the value especially pales in comparison to what he got for some of his other elite players. Uh, I think maybe the um, maybe the big-name pitchers just, naturally led to people offering more than they would for Zalaga, but a 24-year-old shortstop who can hit and isn't bad defensively does mean something, and I think it's going to be pretty significant, uh, a pretty significant move. I think this is probably the worst of Hokies moves that he made in the offseason. Yeah, I don't – so now that I've read this a little bit closer, um, and I had my notes and I read them backwards, obviously, mm-hmm. when you're looking at Zalaga, I mean, the guy hits above 300. He steals 20 bases. You know, he hits for 30 doubles, and, he, you know, his range is pretty good. So, I mean, he's not bad defensively. I wish he'd have a little bit of better arm. But, um, you know, when I mentioned having your pieces align, when you look at Zalaga and you look at the two pitchers that SXR picked up, which would be Painter and Messer, um, you know, those guys are both above 30. So I don't know if they're going to be able to align all those um, players up to, to equal, uh, you know, a wild card position. So I guess at the end of the day, if it all turns out with um, Zalaga, he could always trade him three years later if it doesn't turn out to be what he had hoped it to be. So And probably get a good deal for him. Now my question here is, this is a situation with SXR where he just needed to spend the money and just thought those were the best guys on the market? Or does he think that, should, that Colorado is worse than they were last season? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Colorado's pretty good. So I, um, I just – that's a good question. I think the value of a shortstop, I mean, the deal that he got and the value of a shortstop can be can lever- be leveraged pretty well. I mean, I, how hard has it been to get a shortstop? You know how hard it's been to get a shortstop. I've not been able to find one. So the fact that he yeah, got usually one – Usually I just go with a guy who can't hit, just plays defense. Like, yeah, exactly. You know. I mean, he hits below 200, basically barely above the Mendoza line, and he can field for, you know, absolute value. So, I mean, it's the fact that he's getting an offensive player shortstop that can field, I mean, that's a valuable asset you have there. Right. Um, next move is a three-way deal between Atlanta, the White Sox, and Cincinnati. Um, this is another interesting deal with Chicago, with Chicago trading one of their crucial pieces last season in Vinny Bastos. Uh, the outfielder that he picked up originally from Colorado, uh, not keeping him around super long, only spent one season in Chicago, didn't put up elite power numbers, just sort of was, you know, a guy there, didn't get on base a ton either, and I think maybe JHC is moving on from him. In exchange, picks up Tony Norris, who we already talked about was dealt, um, Paul Furfer, and, uh, and Joey McElhern, and the Reds end up picking up Eric Wetzel from Atlanta, uh, the si- second through sixth round picks from Chicago, and $15 million in cash. Uh, 
what really this deal comes in two parts with uh with uh picking up uh with them picking up uh, uh with Chicago dealing for Norris essentially from from Chicago from Cincinnati and then dealing away bat and then dealing away Bastos to get the 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 Furfer and McElhern from Atlanta. So this is a really interesting deal. Um do we think do you think that JHC gave up on Bastos too early? And and even if he did or didn't, do you think he got full value for him? No, I don't like the deal. Uh, I I don't like the deal for JHC. I I thought this was a bad deal. I don't like um we've already talked about it. I don't like Tony Norris. Um I'm not a big fan of Furfur and McElhern. Um so I would have rather received picks for Bastos. If I was trying to trade Bastos, I would have liked to try to maximize my value for, you know, getting some, some draft picks out of it. So I, you know, like I said, I don't really like this deal. I think, um, I think, uh, you know, Stang hit, hit one out of the park here. I think he's going to love him. Um, you know, he's only 29 years old. Um, he's the kind of guy that could go another five, six years and maintain those, um, vitals hitting well above 300 hitting you know some decent sized home runs playing some you know pedestrian outfield not not exceptional so um i think the winner of this trade obviously at least from my perspective is cincinnati um they've got they got all the draft picks they got some cash and they got a prospect so um i don't like the deal for jhc yeah i think cincinnati won this deal by almost a mile mm-hmm. um i think Wetzel, um, although he doesn't look great, I think there's a decent chance that he's better than what Norris gave them. And he's also quite a bit younger. So I think he may have set the clock back a little bit on his rotation. He made it a little bit younger. And although I I don't know exactly what Wetzel is going to be, I don't think he's going to be an elite pitcher, but he could be a pretty solid guy in that rotation. Um, To get him in exchange for basically Norris and and getting Wetzel and a second through sixth for Norris being the only thing he really contributed to that deal, that's an absolute steal in my mind. He could have gotten the better pitcher and got five draft picks on top of it. That's almost – that's nuts. Yeah. Um, I, I Now, I don't think Bastos is an elite player is, is part of the issue here, and I understand why GHC wanted to trade him. I think Bastos's eye really holds him back. And outside of Colorado, he has not put up the sort of numbers that indicate he's an elite player. The two, his two best seasons really came in Colorado and Baltimore, both of which are bandboxes. Um, but as we saw in Chicago, which is still a hitter's park, that's really more of what you can expect from a guy like Bastos. He hits for a high average, but that average is ultimately going to be pretty empty. Now, that being said... Um, in exchange for what the Braves gave up, uh, with the exception of maybe Wetzel, and even then, I think you're talking about more of a mid-rotation starter, with Furfer, who's done almost nothing in his career in the major leagues, and McElhern, who was really ineffective last year in his first start, which could be rookie jitters, which could be mogul, Oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll let rookies underperform, even if they're at peak. In McElroy's case, definitely if they're before their peak, will they underperform. But uh, I think it's a reasonable price to risk Bastos here. Uh, I just – I did not see this deal from the perspective of the White Sox. 
I think they salvaged it to an extent uh, with the deal they made later with 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 uh, Milwaukee uh, by getting rid of Norris. But I don't know. I think this deal was definitely a significant setback for the Chicago offseason. There's no way around that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Bastos is a decent player, but he's not elite. I mean, he plays okay defense. You know, he'll he'll hit good in the three hole. He'll hit his twenty home runs. He'll hit his thirty twenty to thirty stolen you know doubles. He'll hit above three hundred. But is it worth what you know? I guess what uh, what was paid for it. So I definitely agree. Cincinnati stole and ran away with his deal. So yeah, just for what they added to the deal. And for what they eventually got back, it is a it was a no brainer for JPS, and I think maybe one of the most lopsided deals of the off season, at least from that perspective. Yeah. Now, the Milwaukee Chicago deal makes this really interesting because it follows up by trading Norris away, trading away Corey Harpring, and trading Reggie Horton, who we already talked about, for Meacham, who we already mentioned, Stu Creek, a third baseman, and Herb Laidlaw. So this deal was definitely criticized from the perspective of Milwaukee in the chat, mostly because of the of Norris uh, and how a lot of people don't like Norris as a pitcher. Clearly, you are from that. Clearly, you're coming from that perspective um, on this deal. We already talked about that, and we both seem to be fans of Horton. Um, what do we think of what Chicago is getting in this deal? Ultimately, what do we think of Mitch Meacham, and what do we think of Stu Creek and Herb Laidlaw? Uh, Gilly? That's a good question. Um, I, when I was taking notes and I was looking at this deal, my initial notes were, I don't like this deal for Chicago. Um, I like Horton, which Milwaukee got. Um, I, I don't honestly know what to think of Meacham and Creek and Laidlaw. Um, Meacham's a good player, um, but I think he's been advertising him on the block in the last two days after getting him. So, um I don't know, Stu Creek, if I were to look at him, he's he's a 29-year-old um, third baseman, so um, he's getting up there in age. Um, my guess is he's going to start to decline here eventually. So, you know, if I were to look here, he's got quite a bit of power. He hits for home runs. Um, yeah, obviously he's got some age. He doesn't hit a lot of for average, so... It'd be, if he if Stu Creek can hold out for another five years and not decline in a major way, I think it would be a benefit to Chicago in terms of this trade deal. Obviously, we love Horton, so um, you know I think Meacham's a decent player, but I don't I don't really understand you know why he's trying to trade him. Um, obviously, Milwaukee played him at first base. He made a lot of errors. Um, maybe he's a natural third baseman. I don't know. So. I don't know. I, I, I think Horton's such a good player. I, I wouldn't have been able to make this trade myself. So I don't like giving up a player like Horton for this kind of quasi not sure what I'm going to do with my future players, but maybe uh, JHC is a better um, trader than I am. So Well, the fact that he's already trying to move Meacham is a little bit troubling, but I think maybe we're underselling Meacham a bit. It, throw out the problems with the glove away. I don't. I know he's not a first baseman. He may be a third baseman, but if you look at his minor league numbers, a ton of errors as a third baseman. There doesn't like you know really mediocre fielding percentages. Doesn't seem to think. Doesn't seem that that's his natural position either. I think he might just be a DH, but yep. he's also only 25 years old. He's a switch hitter, and in his first full season, hit put up a 9.25 OPS. 
hit 300, got on base a lot, didn't put up elite power numbers yet, but I think that's possible that we can even see more from him than that. Um, if he's, you know, around 300 with 30 homers and gets on base and can switch hit, um, at the very least, it seems to indicate to me he's the best designated hitter in the league. Um, and he's young, so that's worth something. And he could even get better than that with a little bit of more room on it. And he hasn't even peaked out yet. So he might still see even better than this coming along. It's a hard guy in my mind if you're Milwaukee to give up. And I think you only give it up if you're really sold on a guy like Horton, who you're probably getting a power downgrade with, but at least have the capability, and, and he's older, but at least you have the capability of playing him in the field, which might be more of a priority. Now, giving up Stu Creek is also a really hard thing to do. I think you're also underselling Creek, Gilly. He can definitely hit for power, and although he's on the older side, he's hit 40 home runs as a third baseman the last few years, does put up a solid on-base percentage, not a great average hitter, but looks to be at least like decent defensively in addition to those 40 home runs. I think that could definitely be an asset for you at third. Um, but And... You know, I don't think you're getting anything with Herb Blade. I think he just sort of exists. Um, he's a just sort of, well, I'll throw him in for a sim because all of my pitchers are injured kind of player. Um, Harpering is a much better defender, so maybe that's what he's betting on here. He understands that the defense is what he needs to get better at in Milwaukee. But I don't know if he's going to hit. I think it's, I think his bat's a serious issue. Um, and you don't want to, and although this is the sort of player that you can take a risk on if you're Milwaukee because you have a lot of elite hitters around him, um, I, I can understand why you make the move for a guy like Norris to help fill in the rotation. And I don't think this is a bad deal from Milwaukee's perspective, but I do think that giving up those two players, I, I think this deal does make Chicago better ultimately. Uh, but, I, I, I'm just confused by the end game here with GHC. If he's picking up the best, arguably the best player in the deal, certainly the youngest player in the deal with the most potential, but is immediately attempting to trade him away. I just say, if you're GHC, set him at DH and just don't worry about it. Like, let him let him just hit and give yourself a guy for the next five or ten years at least to build around. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you look at Milwaukee. Um, so looking back at this trade, obviously I like Horton. You know, we've talked about it. I'm, I'm a little shake, you know, scratching my head on Chicago what it, what they're doing there. But from Milwaukee's standpoint, look who they picked up. They picked up Norris and Heritage. So they've tried to improve their pitching. So they bring in Harpering, who has better defense. They trade away Stu Creek, who is, you know, an offensive juggernaut. So um, I just, you know, from Stu Creek's perspective, maybe I am underselling him um, a little bit. Um, I'm just tired of the players that hit for you know, mega home runs, and they have terrible averages. So I've seen a lot of these guys in the file, and I just kind of, you know, vomit in my mouth just thinking about it. But just, you know, <laughs> these guys just kind of – I don't like these guys. So, um, and I've, you know, in full disclosure, I've added a couple in my recent years. So I I don't know if Stu Creek can hold on for a number of years. You know, it might not be a bad deal, um, but if you look at Milwaukee and the way this new new uh, GM's trying to build their team, and you kind of hinted at it, I think they're trying to build a little bit more around their pitching um, I, by adding a little more defense at the third base position. But, you know, like I said, I don't like Norris and I don't like Harriet, so 
you know, their strategy might be sound, but their implementation might not be the right approach. So we'll see. Yeah, I do like those. I mean, I like those sort of low average, high power hitters probably more than you do. But yeah. you know, and but it does get old only looking at them. Like most of the yeah, most of the file, I agree. But I think JHC's best move here is to just sort of stick with Meacham unless unless he's getting some sort of absurd Godfather offer for him. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. So I so I think you should just stick with that and and sort of roll with what he has. I mean, with with Romero with with Williams, if if. You get some sort of lineup there that goes like Romero, Williams, uh, uh, Meacham, uh, Keel, Creek. That's a pretty good one through five already. Yeah. And not to mention some of the other guys they already have there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I've seen him advertise him a few times since I've been online, and I don't know if he's asking too much or if people just are scared away um, by the fact that he's really – don't know if they are first. He's a first baseman or, or a third baseman. And obviously, lump him into DH. I don't know, but I don't know. I think I'd like. I agree with you. I think he should. He should play him a little bit and see what happens. Um, he might uh, surprise him. Yeah, I think. Think we'll see what happens there. Um, one last deal to talk about, and I didn't see it, which is the only reason it wasn't on the run sheet. I think you made it after I had already made the run sheet. What am I wrong on this? I actually made it during the podcast. Oh, okay. Well. I guess that sort of explains why I didn't hear about it, because Jason Lukes is now a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, you had advertised that you were going to trade picks and prospects for pitching, and, well, well, Jason Lukes is really good, um, is what I'll say about him. Now, I'll take a closer look at this deal, um, because I haven't really had too much of a chance to look about it, but let's at least give my thoughts on, on Jason Lukes. Jason Lukes is a phenomenal starting pitcher. Um, the only thing that holds me back on him, and this is just a philosophical thing for me, is his low ground ball rate. But uh, look at literally everything else involving him. He strikes, he's, he's, gets a ton of strikeouts, um, very low home run rate. Um, he's been one of the best starting pitchers in the file for most of his career. Um He's he's made nine All Star teams. Just just one of the best pitchers in FCM. Period. Um, he's 35 though, and in, in getting older. So you wonder how much longer he has left. But with even if he declines a little bit, it's hard to believe that he's just going to completely lose it one day. Um, in exchange, in exchange though, Hokey is picking up your entire draft. Now, you had a pretty average season last year, so these picks are going to be in the middle of their respective rounds, probably. Also picking up, uh, also picking up, uh, let's take a look here, Jose Varius, um, I think really a pretty inconsequential pitcher. Um, some decent numbers as a bullpen guy, but no one who's really been an impact arm out of the rotation uh, maybe a bit undersold. Maybe someone you could fill in with a back end starter. But other than that, I'm not really seeing much from him. Uh, Dormal, I really see uh, the same sort of thing. Like he's a back end caliber starter uh, who's probably been a little bit better than his vitals would indicate, but still not a guy that you really need to keep around. I think one of the guys that I think Hoagie's really making this deal for either the picks 
or for uh, or for this guy Morgan, who you did not list a position on. Okay, Ronnie Morgan, the first baseman. Um, I don't see a ton to love about Ronnie Morgan. Doesn't play a lot of defense, although it's first base, so it's not that big of a deal. But he's right-handed, and his contact and power are both below his overall to this point. His rating has actually taken a bit of a dive from where it was in terms of his peak. He was up toward the 90s and has come back down. Um, I don't really see a huge future for Ronnie Morgan. He's already 24. Doesn't look like he's going to be anything great. He's you're really. I think if you're hokey, you're making this specifically to get um, those draft picks. And I think, although Jason Lukes is a very, very great starting pitcher, and I know he's older than um, older than uh, than McLewis, who he already traded. Um, I don't think Hokey's getting great value here for him. I think it's far, far less than he got for McLewis, and it shouldn't be that dramatic of a difference. So uh, I'm going to give you the edge here, Gilly. I think this is a – if you want to win, this is a smart move. Yeah, so basically Hokey and I had an arm wrestling contest for the last three days um, on all kinds of different, you know, trade um, scenarios. So – he really wanted a prospect. I wasn't willing to give up the prospect that he was asking for. Um, the main deal I made this, you know, the main reason I made this deal for, I don't like picking up this kind of age type player, but I feel like if I got a, I basically got a three year window. So with my players that I have currently now in the, in the lineup, if I can add a guy like Jason Lukes, um, you know, to the rotation with Billy, Billy uh, Ricky Gross, who has come on strong, Copeland, who is now becoming an elite. You know, obviously, obviously, when he makes another jump, he'll even be more elite. And then Emery is my starting five. You know, number five. I feel like my starting rotation will be, you know, in that elite class. Uh, it should be interesting to see what they do. So, you know, giving myself a three-year window. That's why I was taking on the, you know, the 35-year-old guy. I didn't like the salary, so. We went back and forth on salary, and he took a couple guys that I had that were some salary candidates. But Hokie's getting some draft picks, and so I felt like after we talked about it, you know, 35-year-old guy who makes $31 million a year, um, you know, his stats are incredible, but that kind of age and that kind of salary, obviously I'm taking a risk. You know, he could die, you know, in one sim, and I wouldn't know it. Um, But I still think if he even dropped a little bit, he'd still be – you know, something in the two or three, you know, number two or number three range. So I like where he's at. I like the, I like the uh, trade. So. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's definitely an interesting trade for you. Um, I, I would say, I, I, I think you are taking a chance on an older guy and an older guy that I would normally trade for, but let's be honest, you're trading for a future hall of famer, like in terms of Jason Luke's like guys put up, elite numbers his entire career. Um, if you're going to bet on someone who's 35, he'd be the guy I'd bet on. So, and it's not as if his ratings declined yet. So you, and let's look at it this way. He's got three years left on his deal. So it's not exactly a disaster if he starts aging just as you get him. Uh, I think he'd still put up pretty solid numbers and, um, you wouldn't be in a position where you're trying to re-sign a 38-year-old anyway. So if this is your window, you made the almost perfect move to open up that window and start shouting out of it. 
uh, loudly and obnoxiously. Yes, I can't wait to pair him with Villarreal, uh, Gross, and Copeland in my top four with Emery in the number five slot. So pitching was what ended my season last year in the last month, so I want to I wanna nip that in the bud. Sure. Um, interesting, the bold move here, but I think a bold and effective move. Is, is what it will come down to. Uh, let's move on to uh, discussion about uh, free agency. I don't know if we actually skipped this part. We may have, but who cares? Um, what were some free agent signings that you liked and what were some free agent signings you didn't like, Gilly? Okay, so I looked at a few. I've got five on the – well, four on the like and five on the don't like. So All right, that's more than I have, so perfect. Um, I liked Alex Fisher – Going to Colorado, I felt like since Colorado is trying to compete, um, I felt like he would give him a little bit of an edge there in terms of um, – let me pull him up real quick um, and just look at my notes. Alex Fisher obviously is a, is a decent pitcher. Um, so I think it gives him another arm in the rotation that he needed. So I really liked that deal. I didn't necessarily like the length of the contract or the fact that he's, you know, he's going to Colorado, right? So – he already gives up quite a few home runs. Uh, well, absolutely, you know, actually not that many home runs, but I think he's going to give up more in Colorado. So we'll see how effective he is. But I really like the fact that he's he's giving them a, another, you know, pitcher in their pen or in a, in their rotation. So mm-hmm. um, you want me to go through all all four of them that I like before you? Sure, why not? Okay. So and then another one I like um, is Glenn uh, Laverty. Um, Laver- yeah. Okay. Laverty. Yeah. Laverty. Yeah. Which which team did he go to here? Hold on a second. Uh, he also went to Colorado. Yeah, okay, that's why I didn't make a note of it. Um, Laverte, you know, obviously gives, you know, some huge run potential in Colorado. I think he could be a huge factor there as they try to win that division. Um, he's hit for nearly 30 home runs, in, in you know, for the Mets. I think he's going to hit at least that for Colorado, so I like that. Um, we talked about Peter and the Molander trade, I think, um, it is going to be. It's going to. I liked it on the surface. Um, I think as long as he holds his value, I think he'll be able to potentially turn him at the end of his contract. So you know his contract runs through 2056. If he holds his value, he might actually be able to get value back for him when he doesn't sign him and turns him into a comp pick. Kind of looks like a rental to me. But back to your point about you know whether he's the right fit for Washington. I think we'll have to be. We're gonna to have to see how that turns out. You know, if he's building a team that has pitching and defense, this really isn't the guy probably for your defensive team. So we'll see how that fills out. And then the fourth pick I have would be Victor Osias. Um, Osis. Uh, which team is he on? Hold on a second. Uh, Seattle. He actually never hit free agency. It was weird. Okay, maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm having a little trouble finding him uh, on terms of uh, where he's at. So. Um, some of the notes I have, he's kind of a gap filler. Um, he's kind of what he needs to stay competitive. So um, I'm just looking him up real quick. So I, I can actually tell you, I've, I've owned, I've, I've had him as a player before. Big contact hitter, doesn't hit for great power. Not an elite defender. Uh, the big worry is his health, but in terms of getting on base and hitting for average, he's really good. Yeah, so I'm looking at him now. He's nearly hitting for 400, you know, 40 percent on base percentage. He's hitting well above 300 you know, 310 average type of range. You know, I think so, the, you know, my notes were, you know, he's filling a gap and he, that that uh, um, he needs to, you know, stay competitive. So, 
not a bad not a bad pickup. So those are my four. Yep. Um I would say uh two moves that I really liked, which I need to stall for uh and stall for and go get my post it note. Uh I think one of them that was off the top of my head. I'm always a sucker for guys that sign people that either I liked or I just couldn't use or I've had before in the past for whatever reason. I think it's just because I'm a narcissist. Uh, one of them, and I think both of the guys that I really freed in science that I really liked, fell into that category. Uh, one of them was uh, James Connolly going to Boston. Now, I didn't get a chance to use Connolly because Connolly got a bit older and I had to, be, and I had to eventually promote uh, Baruchello to the major leagues, and they were sort of in that both first base left field kind of spot uh, with Austin taking up the other spot uh, and uh, having to deal with Ward Kramer at DH. I couldn't just DH one of them. But the interesting thing is uh, Connolly, I think, is a very, very talented half of a platoon. Um, I think he gets on base at a higher rate than people realize. He definitely can hit for power. And I think in the short, limited time on a platoon that he's been with the Mets, he was actually pretty effective. And if I can pull him up right here, um, pull him up right here for a little bit. Uh, let me find him here. Yeah, Connolly. Uh, like in 2053, he was absolutely great. Like with a 906 OPS and in, in limited duty. Before that, put up 28 home runs, playing a little bit more full time. Wasn't great last year, but I think has very good bounce back potential. And for a million dollars, can probably give you well more than a million dollars worth of production, especially if you keep him in his natural position of first base as opposed to left field. Yeah, I mean, he's like you said, you like those guys with low contact, high power, high eye. So he fits your bill. And for a million dollars, I don't think it's a bad option. Right. And I think in the terms of the more expensive category, and I think the best comp for agent signing, a guy I was sort of reluctant to give up, but I just wanted the picks back for him, uh, was Greg Dwight in Cleveland. Um, I think, um, although he tailed off toward the end of the year, and you can see that a little bit in the game log, uh, Greg Dwight put up some – Excellent numbers in New York. Um, is one of those low home run kind of pitchers. I think people sleep on it a bit because his control and movement aren't like over ninety, but he plays like one of those like ground ball, extreme ground ball kind of pitchers who you can put behind a good defense and really puts up elite numbers. If you look at the ERAs, two eight one in twenty fifty two, two eight seven in twenty fifty three, three sixty two in twenty fifty four, and you're getting this guy on a one-year contract for $9 million. When, I, when a lot of those pitchers that look better on the surface but put up nowhere near those numbers were getting seven, six-year contracts even after they've shown some signs of decline. To get this guy on a $1 million deal was an absolute steal by Noakes. I have no idea why people didn't push him on it harder. I was tempted to go back in and bid because they just didn't want to let him go for that cheap. But uh, – Cleveland doesn't even really need him. He'd be a perfect guy to fill in a gap for a contender. And I would not be surprised to see him dealt somewhere at the deadline uh, because he's really good. And I think on the right team, he's giving you a ton of value. Well, I mean, can you even deal him, though, since he was picked up from free agency? At the uh, I, I don't know the exact rule on that. I think at the deadline you probably could. It'd be, I think it'd be up to the commissioner's discretion there. But even if you're just getting a pick back for him, this is a much better pitcher than than Cleveland has, and it's tremendous value at nine million for a year. Yeah, I mean, I know why Nody, you know, Maddie picked him up. Obviously, he wants to keep the fan favorites. He wants to make sure that even though he's in last place, that he's still maintaining some kind of 
you know, increase in salary. He wants to make sure he's gaining money. So I think picking up a fan favorite is good. You know, looking at his K to walk ratio, it could be that you were able to manage him from a strategic standpoint in a most advantageous way. So depending on how Matty deals him, that K to walk ratio make him, you know, come back to bite him in Cleveland. I don't know how he's going to manage him. So it'll be interesting. I think it's a good thing to look at. Um, he doesn't need him, obviously, but from a fan perspective, he's going to he's gonna help him there. But I want to see how he manages this pitcher to see how that those statistics turn out. Yeah. Um, what were some signs that you didn't like? Okay. So from perspective of what I didn't like, um, let me take a look here. Okay. So I've got five. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a couple from the same team, so I'm I'm sorry, SXR. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat up on you a little bit ahead of time. I'll just I'm gonna beat on him a little bit too. If you mention one of the guys, I'll I'll chime in too. I'll, I'll probably mention him. Uh, one of the first players that I I had I struggled with gave me a little bit of heartburn. Actually, Jay um, Maddie uh, and one of his players, obviously a fan favorite again, Rich Baber. Um, he picked him up uh, for twenty twenty one million dollars until. Uh, 2059. Um, right. I, I guess this isn't technically Maddie anymore. It's it's well, Sean, it's Jason. But okay, so maybe it's Jason. Whoever picked him up, I felt like he paid way too much for him for a declining player. Yeah. The, the fact that I'm not sure Chicago is going to be competing on the level that uh, a couple other teams are going to be competing with. I just think it was way too much. The length of contract was the main consideration that I had. That felt like it was going to be. He's going to be okay the first two years, and he's he's just going to you know, shit the bed the last four. So I don't like where he's at in terms of length of contract. Right. Um, it, you you hit the nail on the head. He was probably the worst contract I had so far uh, in this. Um, and I actually like Rich Baber as a player. I love what he brings to the table. I love the ground ball rate. And as you saw, I think even though he, even as he was declining, I think I got a pretty good job getting, did a pretty good job, if I say so myself, getting good numbers out of him and keeping him productive. Um He's only a year removed from a 21 and five season with a 2.87 ERA, and um, where he was probably in contention for the Cy Young Award or close. Um, I think, though, you're right to say that he's definitely declining, and I think the, that his numbers, to some extent, are a product of that of that really uh, of that very extreme ground ball pitching staff and the and the infield defense, I don't know how much of that is going to translate to Chicago, where I think they definitely have some great defensive potential there with a guy like uh, Lee, with a guy like, um, I guess they trade away Lee Lee Brinker. Uh, So I I will, uh, well, okay, they have their whole lineup screwed up. Lee Brinker is a very elite second baseman who I think can really help, uh, can can really help them and uh, really put up good numbers. Henshaw is also a very good shortstop. So maybe this is going to be a pretty good fit and he'll get some good value early in the contract, but it's just too long for a guy that has not only started to decline a little bit, but is way off his peak at this point. Like right. there's no way to, it's not as if it's, it could have been just a fluke drop and he's just going to stay at this level for a couple more years. I think it's pretty clear that, that he's on the end of his rope here and I'm, and I just don't see the logic in handing him a contract that long. No, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other players getting into SXR's range. Um, Nick Messer didn't like the deal. I don't like the fact that the cost, the length, the length of it, um, 
this is a bad deal, I think, in my opinion. It goes $21 million until 2061. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't get the sense that this guy, this guy's one of these guys that could die in the next year, and all of a sudden SSR is stuck with a guy for many, many years. So um, I don't know if SXR is in the position to compete right now. So, um, you know, they're on the, they're on the kind of the cusp. Colorado's obviously, um, kind of leading the way. So I know SXR through some of these deals, he tried to make his team better through a lot of free agent contracts, but I don't know if he's going to be where he wants to be by leveraging those guys. So he, he, he went after him, and Jeff Painter's another one. He spent $27 million through 2061 for a guy who's 34, 34 years old. He's already on the decline. That is a big deal to me. I, I don't know why. That's even worse, in my opinion, than Messer. So I don't know. I have I have a pretty hard time with those two deals for SXR. Uh, Painter, you said on this one? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that was the one that jumped out to me. And I think – Painter was probably the best pitcher in terms of if you needed him next year, what were the numbers he was going to put up, like from that perspective in free agency. But he's 34 years old. His ratings dropped the last two seasons, and he's handed a seven-year deal at $27 million a year. I just don't, like, this is the sort of deal you make when you just have excessive amounts of money to burn, but why do you even extend it out this far? Like I know, like the logic being that if you, you that if you're going to spend X amount of money on a player, you spread it out as far as possible, and then maybe at the end you release him if if you have to hit the money on that. But I'm a believer in like trying to make deals as short as possible so you can move on from people in certain situations. Like this is the kind of contract that if let's say he keeps declining, that in a few years you're going to have to dump somewhere and you're going to have to spend your entire draft class to do it. Or some other move like that. I just don't see the. I, I, it's just it's way too much money, and SXR probably has a decent team. I might even be willing to believe that like Colorado just sort of had its best season and isn't going to replicate that. But I also think that San Francisco was obviously was worse than they were supposed to be, and even with San Diego out of the race, you have a team in Arizona that looked really good last year, and it was a wild card team. So uh, I don't know if this move puts them over the top. Uh, I don't know if this is the potential to like to put, put it this way. I don't know if this is the potential to really to really push them up to division. Definitely has a chance to sink them, and yeah. in, for, in terms of financial standpoint, I agree. So another one that I have on my list: Clint Parker, seven years for three uh, seven million for three years for Arizona. Um, Arizona, I didn't really have. You know, Arizona's at the bottom of the NL West. I'm not sure why he spent that kind of money on that player. Um, he's in decline already. Not sure I really saw the value. He hits below 250. He's in the 240 range. So, I, I, you know, I'm nitpicking here, but I didn't really like that deal. And then um, Gil Orego, um, let's see here. I took a note here for Kansas City. Um, 34 years old, $6.5 million contract to 2057. Yeah, again, another player in decline for a team that's not going to be competing potentially. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of nitpicking on some of the last two that I mentioned, but definitely SXR had a couple things that I scratched my head on. Yeah, I think the the Rego deal is just a matter of a really good defensive player. Um, 
probably getting signed for more than he's worth, but not uh, not the worst. Uh, no, not, not the worst. It, it just kind of going to the team that it went to. I'm not sure it made sense. So. Yes. Um, the so yeah, I just don't think I don't think that'll ultimately work out. Let's move on from that and go try to go division by division. Uh, complaints about the lack of Tigers talk so far. So we'll leave the AL Central for last out of spite. Let's talk first about the National League East. I don't know what bring, what attracts me to the National League East, but it seems to be an interesting division with a team with a very with a team with a huge market and and uh orange and blue colors and you know obviously are going to be completely relevant but seriously um a lot of people are looking at this division even with the moves Atlanta made and still feel that it's Washington's division to lose ultimately i'm not so certain i believe that but gilly um i how would you uh put together this national league race in the in the east okay so i did a little bit of research i looked at it a little bit um i would Rank Washington obviously is the as the uh, creme de la creme of the Washington or the NL East um, with Atlanta entering into the wild card spot. Um, Stang has been patiently um, biding his time and building up players, and now I think he's he's kind of like a like a snake ready to strike. Um, so he's trading away some of his players, acquiring players. It should be interesting to see how he goes, and he still has plenty in the tank in terms of um, prospects to deal away. For 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 uh, for additional players, and then in third I've got Philly, and then with New York, and then Florida. So that's how I see the NL East. Yeah. Um, where do you have Philadelphia? I have them third. Okay. Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting year, and I think the, the, it, there's sort of two classes of teams here, and Washington and Atlanta are just clearly a cut above. Uh, I think the other three. Uh, I know that I'm taking a step back this year. I, I think my team would be probably going to be around 500, and that might be a little bit ambitious uh, considering some of the people I've had to lose. Uh, I do think, though, that Washington's the favorite. I still think they have too many pieces from a very good team last year uh, to really mess things up too much. Um, the pitching staff is just still too good, and I don't think there's a pitching staff in the East anymore, especially with Florida – Florida staff gone that can really compete with it. Now, Atlanta's is very good, but the back end's not as good as the front end with some of the issues of Cervantes and and Beard not living up to expectations yet and Kevin Woods really not being great last year. Some of that could be cast on the defense, which I think will be better. I do think maybe one of the quiet reasons why Atlanta will be better will be moving just Jason Huter into shortstop, who I think has the potential to be one of the best young shortstops in in the file. I, I think he'll be very good. Uh, I, I think adding Aaron, Aaron Adam Thompson was a shrewd move by Atlanta. Um, I don't know. I think that air, the errors might be a problem, but I think he'll be pretty solid at third, but the issue is starting Sinoski at second. I don't know if the defense is going to be great outside of Hooter. And I think that might really hurt Atlanta's chances of the pitching staff really living up to expectations. I think there's a chance that this Atlanta team could disappoint a little bit, and I don't necessarily know if they're a wild-card team. Uh, I think they'll be good, but I don't know how good, and I'm a little suspicious as to exactly how good. I think they're probably in the 85 to 90 win range as opposed to the 95, as opposed to like 95 or 100 wins. 
And I think it'll be interesting to see where they ultimately end up. Uh, I think Washington should be on the way to about 95 to 100 wins in it. And I think a pretty clear National League East title in terms of both in terms of Florida, New York, and Philadelphia. I think all three teams have pretty clear flaws at this point. I think Florida is probably destined to finish last, especially with some of the moves that they've already made. But I think Hokie's okay with that. In terms of Philadelphia, they might have the edge on offense as compared to the Mets, especially now. Um, I think with Tavin sort of peeking out, uh, it'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see how many runs that lineup is going to produce. And they still have, uh, and now Luis Barajas, who they spent a ton of money on at the top of the rotation, uh, should at least stabilize that pitching staff a bit to the point where I think, yeah, they'll probably finish ahead of us with the Mets. But I'm, I think the Mets might still have a little bit of juice left in them. I think that team might be a little bit better than it looks. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And I can at least grit out enough wins to the point where I can get myself in some sort of contention by uh, by July. So um, so we'll see how that ultimately ultimately turns out. Not entirely confident, but uh, I'm fairly confident Washington's going to win the East. Yep. Uh, we'll move on to the NL Central. Uh, Milwaukee won this division last year. But as we talked about, some of the moves might put them on the outside looking in. And not to, there are a lot of good teams in this, in this, with Pittsburgh adding, with Cincinnati making another shrewd move, with uh, the Cubs really taking a step up and getting you know, maybe a full year from Jeremy Gladthorne, which could really boost them up. And uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, full of the typical St. Louis Cardinals voodoo that is beyond explanation, looked like they were going to be a wild card team until right at the very end last year. Uh, this division is going to be a nightmare for handicappers. I think it's by far the toughest division to call. Uh, who are you calling it for, Gilly? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm in this division. It's a very tough division. Every team in this division won over 80 games last year. So I'm picking Milwaukee. You know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. So I'm going to give the nod to Milwaukee this year. So I'm calling Milwaukee to win the division. Um, I will... Um, I think I'm going to get into the wild card spot ahead of Chicago, but I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago sneaks in. Um, had had I would have said that with more certainty prior to the Luke's trade, but after the Luke's trade, I feel a little more confident about my staff. Still a little concerned about my um, bullpen. So, and then number four with Cincinnati and St. Louis bringing up the fifth spot. Yeah, it, it's. I have no idea how to call this division. Um, if I just had to guess, and and this is like on par with just a straight up wild guess, my favorite would probably be Cincinnati. Um, I, I still think the core of that Cincinnati team, even if there's some stuff getting older around it, is just really good. Um, Wilson Brown is just a phenomenal bat in the middle of that order. Uh, I, it, Steve Palmer, um, Steve Palmer, I think didn't really get a chance to show how good he was toward the end, toward the end of that year. But I think other than the bats, I think the real core of that team is the pitching staff with Barocca and Nelson, uh, it, 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 excuse me, with uh, uh, yeah, Barocca and Baker up at the top. I think behind that, Booty Haas can probably put up a better year. Uh, I still really I, I do think Eric Wetzel can put up good numbers for them. And I think that pitching staff will be enough to vault them over Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee might have a better lineup 
but we still talked about some of those defensive problems that really held them back. And I think that that might ultimately do them in. I think they're probably the two best teams in some order. And then there's, um, and then there's, uh, uh, and then there's uh, like Pittsburgh. And then in terms of you uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, I think I'd probably put you in third right now. Um, I think the improvements to your pitching staff are really, really help to put your pitching staff to another level. I'd really love to see a full season from Nate Copeland to see exactly what he is. But, you know, adding Luke's that rotation does make it a little easier for guys like Villaroyal and uh, Villaroyal and a young Copeland and, and maybe get your pitching staff a little more experience. I still don't know um, how much offense you're going to get outside of a guys like outside of Aguilar. I think uh, Barron's is fine, but still maybe a little miscast toward the middle of that order. Bevilacqua is also fine, but I think really more of a platoon player. I think you've got three really good pieces. You've got a couple really good pieces there in Aguilar and Vicari, but I don't know if the whole picture is there yet, which I think will be a problem. Uh, I think Chicago uh, is starting to get some of those pieces together with Pickle and Gladthorne. Uh, I think they'll, uh, and between them, Brinker, they're going to have a very good offense. And actually, the more that I look at them, I think I'll probably put them in third instead. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, they're going to be a very solid team. It depends on what they can get from Baber. Uh, it, but the top of that rotation, in addition to some of the hitters in the middle of that order, I think this might be an interesting year in the sense that I'd almost bet on there being two uh, uh, National League wildcard teams coming out of the Central instead of out of the East, which we haven't really seen in a while. Um, I'd probably put uh, I'd probably put Milwaukee and Chicago as the two wildcard teams. With you in fourth and St. Louis, yeah, probably in last. But I think any of those teams could get mixed up. It's not a division I can confidently call in any direction. I think you could easily make an argument that Cincinnati gets some injuries and finishes last. Uh, and I think that's it's really interesting to see how this is going to shake out. Yep, I agree. I look forward to seeing how this shakes out. Yeah, uh, it's sure. Um... The NL West. Yes, in the in terms of the NL West, you had Colorado really stepping up last year and getting into a new level. With San Francisco sort of unexpectedly taking a step back after it looked like they had stepped into contention fairly permanently. Um, still some young talent there in San Francisco. In Colorado, we still got some of the key pieces that helped to vault that team up. Um, vault that team up last year, um, adding Tinker in at the deadline. It was definitely a very shrewd move by uh, Colorado that really vaulted them over the top, um, at least in terms of at least in terms of solidifying that pitching staff. Um, but maybe they overperformed a bit last year. Uh, you've got LA and all those big free agent moves. You've got a young, hungry team in Arizona that um, really looked looked to be stepping up a year or two before everyone expected them to be. Uh, and then you've got that rebuilding process in San Diego kind of starting over. So I think we can safely say San Diego's out of the race, but who do we think is the, uh, but who do we think is the favorite in the NL West, Gilly? So I had Colorado still maintaining that favored status. Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously Tickeran, obviously still there. He's pitching well. Um, but don't forget they picked up Alex Fisher 
uh, on, in free agency. So I think that they will be a force in the NOS. I think they've got a great lineup in the pitching staff. Um, I seem to remember at one point we were kind of, you know, back in the day, I think Tommy Martinez, I, don't, I could be wrong, but Tommy Martinez was always kind of a butt of a joke. So I don't know if that's true or not. I seem to remember some of it, but I don't, maybe I could be wrong. But Yeah, I, I definitely took some shots at him, but he performed maybe a little better than I thought. Wasn't great, but certainly was workmanlike. Yeah, so he's been he's been actually a pleasant surprise. So I, I you know, his name rings a bell in my mind. So he didn't I have, have to eat any shirts because of what I said about him. <laughs> exactly. So you know, I think their rotation fits well. Um, I actually have Los Angeles you know, Dodgers XXR with his free agency pickups coming in at second place. I don't think that division is going to have more than one team coming out of it for the playoffs. I absolutely think the wild cards either going to come out of you know, two from the central or one from the east and one from the central. I don't think it will come from the west. So, you know, I have Los Angeles, then San Fran, Arizona, and then San Diego obviously rounding out going for the first draft pick. Yeah, um, yeah, San Diego is definitely in that first draft pick conversation. I wonder if Colorado didn't just overperform a bit last year, but I will say that there are a – very solid team that I think fits their park very well. I think some of the guys they get away with playing, you couldn't get away with in other parks. And, like, for example, I don't think Joe Spears put up put up those kind of numbers outside of Colorado. I definitely don't think uh, Greg Taos is nearly as good of a seat that those kind of power numbers and, and stays that consistent outside of Colorado. Uh, but they get it done. And, and for the most part, their pitching staff has been – really solid for such a cartoonish ballpark. I think a very, I think their most pleasant surprise being Todd McFadden, who although I think got hurt at a critical point during the year toward the end of the season, let's be honest here, 333 ERA, 14-0 record in Colorado, that's much better than you could realistically expect from him. And I think they got a lot of, they've got a lot of guys who I think were on the high end of their potential performance last year. So I'm going to pick them, I think, even with some of their upgrades to finish second, because I really like this team in Arizona. Uh, I think that with uh, Fullerton coming up, uh, Fullerton coming up, I think is really ready for a breakout kind of year, I think, after after a little bit. I think, uh, I think Justin Frakes, you really started to see some great potential from. Maybe he's not a second baseman. Maybe he's a third baseman, and I'm glad to see he's there in the initial version of the lineup because I think he could be very good. I like the defensive combo with him and McLaughlin. I really think this Arizona team could shot uh, Arizona team that what happened to them last year was not a fluke, and I think that they're going to win the uh, the NL West. I would put uh, San Francisco and L.A. in a brutal struggle for third. I think they both have some pretty clear holes. I think in San Francisco, it's definitely the offense. There are some guys on that team that can hit, but Gary, but Gary Moody is being miscast as a cleanup hitter there. Um, I think Will Leaf might be a good upgrade, but be, but that still doesn't give them enough enough hitting in my mind to put them over the top. And they're wasting some of their very good pitchers. I think in L.A., I think you have a very similar problem. Uh, I still don't see the offense that gets paired with some of that pitching staff there. And I think outside of their top two, I don't know how good their pitching staff actually is. Gustavo Jimenez doesn't look like he's really going to be an impact player. I think Deazo 
with some of his decline, has really fallen from his peak in Florida much more significantly than it looks like on paper. And I don't think Alex Sheldana is a realistic option to go with as a start, as a fifth starter. So I'd probably put L.A. in fourth, uh, San Francisco in third, and uh, San Diego probably is one of the early favorites for their number one overall pick. Wow, you, you sound like you've analyzed this division a lot more than I have. Um, so I'm going to have to take your word on it. I didn't have Arizona coming in where you think they're going to be coming in at. So I still like Colorado. So I think this is some both this division and the NL Central will be fun divisions to watch. But uh, right. I'll take your word for it. So ultimately, the, uh, the what playoff teams do you have coming out of the National League? So out of the National League, I have Washington and I have Atlanta. So Washington comes out as the uh, league, you know, the league championship team. I have Atlanta as a wild card. I have Milwaukee as the division champion out of the Central. I have Pitt as wild card, my team, and then uh, Colorado in a uh, division championship. So coming out of that, then I have Washington make it into the World Series. So. Yep. I think here's my call for the National League. I'm having Washington win the East, uh, Cincinnati win the Central, and uh, Arizona win the West. As my two wildcard teams, I'm going to pick Milwaukee and the Cubs. So this is going to be an interesting year. I think, think definitely some turnover in terms of the playoff teams coming out of the NL. We'll move on to the AL. Um, the AL, uh, the American League East, is another division that I think might be pretty difficult to call as it's been in years past. Uh, the instinct is to take a team like Tampa Bay with all that, still all that talent there, and still holding up in terms of their uh, holding up in terms of their payroll. But Toronto still has a very, a very bizarre but effective core there, and maybe some young talent starting to come up with a guy like uh, Alexis Marino or or or, Mar- uh, or Marquise Pinado. I don't think who's really a shortstop, but maybe could hit a little bit. Uh, but some old names there like Oroto and Casson and Honeyfeld and Orozio that seem to keep this team in contention. And then you've got two rebuilding teams, although the Yankees still with quite a bit of talent, although it may not be exactly in the places you need it, and Boston uh, really in, in the middle of that rebuild being started that probably isn't a contender here. But still, some, still an interesting situation in the American League East. Who do you think it will go to, Gilly? So out of the American League East, I have you know Tampa Bay still as as a, a pretty good team, um, and then Toronto as my wild card team. We talked a little bit about Baltimore. They have an interesting team. I think they're right on the fence. This new GM is going to have to determine whether they want to either continue to try and make the playoffs, um, but I think they're going to have to make a few moves in order to get there, um, and whether they have that you know cachet in the in the minors or not. That's a whole other story. Um, they've got a number of pitchers in the minors that could potentially be moved for maybe an ace. Um, but at, back to our recommendation, I felt like Baltimore, I think you even mentioned it, I felt like Baltimore should probably look to rebuild. And then New York and then Boston to round out the division. But I, I really still feel like Tampa Bay is a team that can really put it together. They seem to you know, re- reload every year and then move their players in, in, in a good fashion with their, you know, their payroll being what it is. So I still give them the edge, but Toronto, surprisingly or not, I think I heard a GM say it the other day, I don't know how they are good. I kind of agree. I'm not sure how they're good except for their, you know, their pitching staff's not too bad. Um, and they have some of the older players that had been draft picks in the past that are coming up now. So 
I think they're are leveraging what they had been, you know, what they had drafted in the past for what they're, you know, in there. So they're 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 basically, uh, you know, leveraging some of their fruits of their labor in the past draft classes in order to make this happen. So. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. I I definitely install Tampa Bay as the favorites. I just think it's hard to pick against that level of talent uh, there. I do. I would like to see them move on from uh, Chikafuji at shortstop. I think he's a solid enough hitter, but I think he's holding them back in terms of their defense. And I think that would really help make that pitching staff that's already good even better. I'd love to see what Danbury would do with an elite shortstop. Same goes for Deerman or 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 uh, or Delgado. Uh, I think, but those four at the top of the rotation, Deerman, Danbury, Ware, and Delgado, are enough to really make them, in my mind, a pretty clear favorite. I think Toronto and Baltimore, in my mind, are like really in a battle between second and third. I, I'd say Toronto still it, like fits together probably a little bit better, but in terms of overall talent, maybe Baltimore's the better team. Uh, I think they still have some very good pieces there in Baltimore that they should probably be looking to move. Uh, but I don't think either of those teams, in my mind, is a realistic wildcard contender. Maybe Toronto if they have a really good season, but I think they sort of caught lightning in a bottle to some extent last year. Uh, New York still has quite a bit of talent, and it wouldn't surprise me, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do a little bit better than you think they would be, but they're going to be moving people like in and out throughout the year, and I think eventually they'll end up probably below 500. Uh, certainly below 500, and maybe and maybe much worse than they look than they look at this moment. And I think Boston is pretty clearly trying to uh, pretty clearly not in a position where they can really win a lot of games. I just don't think they have the talent to do it. Uh, you know, they have some decent pitchers that look better than their vitals in terms of, you know, Josh Gomez especially, but I still don't think they're a very good team yet. I don't think that they're going for very good. Uh, we'll move on to the AL Central. We're not actually doing them last. That would make no sense. So um, the AL Central, this was really Detroit's division by a lot last year. Uh, I I think I remember calling that. I, I, I don't know. Sounds like something I said. Um, I think Detroit still has a lot of that core that, that, that put that team forward last year. You've got the rapid-fire moves from GHC in Chicago, who, uh, who are, who's a wild-card team. And then behind that, you've got Cleveland in the middle of a rebuild, uh, Minnesota sort of still transitioning, and, uh, and then Kansas City and then Mike's voodoo magic out there with some moves, picking up guys like Jason Seckler and Gil Arrego and some other people to maybe get that team a little bit more competitive than it was. So what do you think is going on in the American League Central, Gilly? Yeah, this one, is, this division I probably would say I know the least about. I just, I don't know why it is, but maybe because I don't like any of the teams in this division. But Just you know, personally, I, you just have a grudge against all of them? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Cubs fan in real life, so I'm yeah. I'm an NL guy. So the AL side of it, I don't really pay that much attention to. But Detroit, obviously, I think they're still going to hold on to it. I don't think this league is very. I don't think this division is very good, honestly, from top to bottom. So I think he's he's taking advantage of the situation around him, and it's kind of puffing up him a little bit in terms of wins. So you know, you've got teams like. Cleveland and Minnesota and historically Kansas City where they haven't played that well and they haven't won a lot of games in the last couple of years. So I 
I honestly think Detroit's going to win this division. I think they're going to take advantage of the situation. And then you've got teams like Kansas City, Minnesota, uh, rounding out with Cleveland and, and I'm sorry, Chicago and then Cleveland. So um, I don't know as much as you would do about this division, so I'm going to have to defer to you on this one. Well, I think Detroit's going to win it again. Um, yeah. I don't think the wild card's coming out of here. Um, you know what? It might. Um, I think Chicago has a real chance at the wild card. I do think they lost quite a bit from last year in terms of their pitching staff, but yeah, it could be an issue. Um, they're relying a lot on Chris Duggar to carry them, but yeah, you know, some of the names that are that are in that rotation, like uh, Bayclova, is maybe a little bit better than he looks. But Paul Furfer hasn't really done much. I don't know what he's getting from Herb Laidlaw. Uh, it just seems like just a lot of pitching was lost in that free agency. And that puts them even further behind Detroit than they already were. Uh, Kansas City, I think, is going to be a crafty kind of third-place team with the addition of a guy like Seckler. But I just don't see all the pieces fitting together there in time. Uh, Towson, we're going to start to see some of Toby Towson and what he can do, mostly probably as a designated hitter. But... I don't think his presence alone with, you know, Walker and Seckler will be enough to really give them a ton. I still think there are holes in that pitching staff as well. Some decent guys there, but not enough to really vault them over either Chicago or Detroit, especially not Detroit. Minnesota still hasn't really transitioned. I think they might want to speed up uh, some, moving some of those people out because there's still a lot of names there like Goalie and Serratos who have not moved even from a couple years ago, and I think might be time to maybe expedite the process of moving those guys out and maybe accepting a little less than what you expect to do it because I think they really need to move on as a team. I think there's just too many names there that are just – the team's not transitioning fast enough from one way or another. I know it's good to hold out for what you really want in a deal, and it's not good to accept bad value – but that being said, I think they really should maybe push for some of those guys being moved. I think Cleveland's probably in last place. I, I think it's probably by design. Like some of the names there, and I think they might be – I don't think they're a number one pick kind of team at this point. I think they'll probably finish ahead of at least a couple teams. But they aren't great, and I think they're probably a pretty solid lot to finish last. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's all I got to say about the AL Central. Yep, and now the AL West. I think this is probably the best division in the American League. I can say that pretty confidently. Oakland and Seattle have been power stalwarts, but the real question is: Does Houston step up and start to see and start to play a little bit better? Do we this year we start to see LA really step up and play better? So my question to you is: uh, My question to you then is: What does this division shake out like in the American League? in the American League West. So I agree with you. I think it's what, this is the, the best division in, in the AL. Um, Seattle, obviously, I still have as my number one team overall, actually, across Mogul, um, with you know Oakland coming up behind them in terms of a wild-card perspective. I'm looking for L.A. to step, you know, make a big step up this year. I think they've got the team. They've got the players. Um, they're young. That's the problem. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do what they need to do this year, they actually might be in the best position out of this whole entire division to get to take advantage of 
the years to come. So even though they may not make the step this year, with Oakland and Seattle aging a bit, right, and so they're getting in the, into their mid to late, uh, you know, mid late twenty year old area. L.A. obviously has been biding their time. They've been building up the players. They're making some deals. A lot of their players are younger, so I think they're almost in a in the best position to take advantage of the situation. Not this year, but maybe next year or the year after that. And so. I look for L.A. to finish third this year, even though they've got a bright future, and then um, Houston and Texas to finish it out. But Seattle and Oakland, if you've looked over the last couple of years, have been neck and neck. So, you know, they're really – they're almost one and the same, and they're almost on the same path in terms of ages, So, with Seattle being a little bit older. So I still see Seattle winning that division and then winning the uh, league championship. Yeah, it's really close. Um I think Oakland and Seattle was really a toss-up. It's always been a toss-up. It's probably still a toss-up. I would give an edge to Seattle, uh, I think, in terms of the fact that they still have some really elite starters at the top of that staff. I think their lineup might still be a bit deeper. I don't necessarily like it as much as I like some of the key players on Oakland. I think... Both of those teams are still like a hundred win cal, a hundred to hundred and five win caliber teams, are going to be awesome and are going to finish one two. Now, I really think that that next year is when you see LA pushing them. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that LA isn't a capable team now, and I'm going to pick them to be an AL wild card team. Ooh. There's just too much talent there, wow. and I think what we're starting to see with LA is that. You've got Verdugo starting to anchor things at shortstop. You've got Pye in the lineup. You've got Thurman in the lineup. You've got uh, a bunch of other – you've got guys like Equus, Schaub, um, Jim Bennett, uh, Palencia. You've got enough there. And, and Johnstone at catcher, you've got more than enough there to piece together a solid lineup. Uh, I really think – Equus especially, uh, Equus especially is going to be a is going to be a huge asset for them at second base, and I think might cover for the fact that Verdugo isn't an elite defender quite yet, uh, but Verdugo should be very good in, in and of himself on his own, and I think that that core plus some of the young pitchers. I don't think you've seen the best from a guy like Mike Kirk yet. You definitely haven't seen it from Juan Desford. And I think maybe maybe you saw that some of their initial initial run there was like rookie jitters that they might get out a bit this year. And I think with Dawson behind them in case someone gets hurt who's a capable enough starter on his own, I think they're better than the White Sox. And the White Sox are probably the best team, uh, the best the, the other team with the most legit shot to get the wild card, other than whoever. Whoever finishes the whoever finishes second in the Oakland Seattle Guards match, I think they're just a more put together team. I think their pitching staff is just that much better. Um, I love some of Chicago's lineup, but if I'm if I'm betting on the team, I'm going to bet on the team that fits together well, and it's it's L.A. Even though they're young, um, I think Houston and, and Texas are still sort of caught between strategies here. I don't think either of them are terrible. Uh, I think uh, I think. Uh, Houston will probably finish above Texas because they're a little more complete of a team, but they still have too many holes to really 
become a legitimate contender. Texas is mid-rebuild, and they still haven't moved some of their bats yet. So I think their offense will cause them to win a few more games than you think. But I think this is going to be the first time in a while where we're going to see two wild cards come out of the AL West because I am absolutely picking the Angels to be a wild card team. Well, I'm going to have to tell you, you might be on your own with that one because I don't really feel as strong about their pitching staff as you might feel about their G. Well, it hasn't. It, it, it has definitely has not clicked for them yet, and I'm guessing based on potential as opposed to anything they've actually done. But I think it's better than – I think it could be really good. I, I don't think really it's going to be as good as – as good as um, Oakland's or Seattle's, obviously, but if we're looking at the other wild card contenders, we're talking about a pitching staff in Toronto that's more decent than anything, and a pitching staff that in in Cleveland, in, excuse me, in Chicago that looks incomplete. And I think the potential is is definitely there for the Angels' rotation to be better than either of those. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. I I just think their lineup they're a year away when I look at their players to really make that next step. I just don't think they have it this year. So, I mean, Juan Esfers gave up 41 home runs in Florida last year. That's a big – Right. That gives me some heartburn if I was at the Anaheim. Right. It, it gives me some heartburn too, but sometimes that's rookie jitters. Like, you know, full first full year of especially pitchers in Mogul can be really erratic, and it's hard to tell exactly what you're getting. But I don't know. It just – I. They seem to me like trusting my like sort of instincts about how teams are put together. That team in LA may be young, but it's it it does seem like it has the right pieces. It may be it may be a year away, but I think it, it's definitely a couple years away in terms of their peak. But in terms of where they're at now, it might be good enough to make the playoffs. How about I make this deal for you? I, if Los Angeles makes the play a wild card. I'll I'll eat a Hawaiian shirt this time. All right. All right, we can do that. We can do that. I will send you a custom made Hawaiian shirt with my face on it if I have to. And I and I will take a a, a video of me eating it because I don't think there's any way that they're gonna make the wild card this year. So this All right. All right. I think you might be sleeping on them, but we'll talk about that. So just to go over it, what are your teams coming out of the American League to make the playoffs? So coming out of the American League it'll be Tampa Bay as the division leader and division winner. It'll be Detroit uh, as the division winner in the Central. It'll be Seattle and Oakland, Seattle being the division winner and then Oakland wild card. I believe the wild card will come out, the second wild card will come out of the AL East, and I think Seattle will go to the World Series to play Washington. Okay. So out of the American League, I'm taking Tampa Bay to win the East. I'm taking uh, Detroit to win the Central. I'm taking Seattle to win the West. I'm taking Oakland and L.A. as the wild card teams. And I'm going to bet that the World Series matchup this year is Tigers-Nationals. And I'm sorry to do this to you, GB, but I think this is Detroit's year. Wow. I know he's been waiting for the title a while. He, I think he's got the right pieces. Yeah, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So, sorry, GB, sort of gave you the kiss of death there, yeah, but yeah. I think, you think you, I think this is Detroit's year. I just do. It might be Bart Ahern, Ahern that puts him over the edge. Right. He's. It's just. There's too much talent there to to not bet on. Uh, and I think 
think he's got the right pieces. I think GB is very crafty uh, in terms of general manager. He's got he's got two other well managed teams, especially in the West, to go up against too. That have a ton of talent, uh, but you know, it, look, it's hard to bet on either Oakland or Seattle to definitively win the world championship when it's very conceivable that either of them could be the wild card and, and could get eliminated in just one game. Yeah. I think this is going to be a very fun year. I think this is one of the more exciting years that we've had in probably, I don't know, five, six years. With Absolutely. The NL wild card race especially, I think, is just wide open since it's been in a long time. Yeah, I think you're seeing some new teams, new blood. I think it should make an in, for an interesting uh, season this year. I, I'm looking forward to it. So anything else you anything else crazy you want to say about this season? One one more crazy wild thing. Any no. other mogul thoughts? No, I don't think I think we've been going how many how many what two and a half hours now, so Yeah, something like that. It's I think it's past midnight here on the East Coast. Yeah, but uh I, I think it's gonna be a fun year. I think the teams that um were in you know, predicted to make the division could have some potential folks that you know, like you mentioned LA, which I know you think they all make it, but I don't I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I think there are gonna be some teams there that surprise some folks. I think the division series that are challenges like the Central on the NL side and the NL West will make for so much um drama that I think you're gonna have teams panicking at the end towards the, the trade deadline to make some kind of deal just to make it over the over the top. So Yeah, could be a lot of player movement. I think this is gonna be a very interesting year. Yep. Uh I have I have no idea what's gonna happen. Uh could be this this could be wild. These predictions could sound insane by the time season goes along, but I will stand by them arrogantly and vehemently shaking my finger at the standings if they do not comply with my personal opinion. Um but that'll do it for this edition of the FCM podcast, the season preview. Slightly delayed in terms of time, but no content was reduced because of that. So think of it that way. Uh, everyone, good luck in the 2055 season. Uh, may the odds be ever in your favor. And, um, yeah, I got nothing more clever to say other than that. Uh, good luck, guys. Yep, good luck. <laughs>